respond to your great name. And so, Lord, we pray that you are pleased with our offerings this morning. Lord, we pray that as we look into your word, that we will be changed and that we will be challenged. So we thank you for all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. So I remember last year, I was sitting over here and I was watching Pastor Larry as he was preaching at the beach. And I saw how much fun he was having. I thought, you know what? I really, really want to do that. I think that would be fun. And so it just happened that um, his son got married last night. Congratulations to you and Anne, by the way. So it turns out that uh, it it worked out in in my favor here. I I got the opportunity. And then I thought, how many times am I going to have the opportunity to preach in shorts and barefoot? So um, that's going to be fun. So hopefully you don't mind that. You know, being around the water today, uh, I'm reminded of a story that uh, I look through all of my past sermons and I can't find where I've told the story, but I'm probably going to start and you're probably going to be like, yeah, no, I've heard it. But if you have, just bear with me because it's a great story and it's one that reminds me of our story today. So my dad and I used to go out canoeing uh, on the river. And we would travel all kind, all over the place in northern Maine. We'd go across the border into Canada. We'd canoe on lakes. And rivers were our nemesis, though. Anytime my father and I stood in a boat or sat in a boat together, it was going to tip over. He just knew it. It was going to tip. And so we got in the boat. We were heading down the river, which was nice because you could just kind of follow the current, right? And so we didn't have to paddle much. And we were going down the river, and there were signs on the side that said there are falls ahead. There was a waterfall. And so me, understanding the situation, understanding the fact that uh, we probably want to think about getting over to the side because just before the waterfall, there's a place that you could portage. You could get over to the side and pick up your canoe and walk down the path and go down the other side without having to go over the falls, which is nice because you probably die. So there were all of these signs that were pointing and saying the falls are coming, the falls are coming. So my dad, being the relaxed person that he is, he's standing up in the canoe and he's just fishing. And so I'm looking at him, understanding the situation. I'm looking at him, and what I'm finding is I'm having trouble trusting my dad at this point. Because he's just having a good old time, casting, casting. And the signs are saying, falls, you know, a mile ahead. Okay, we got some time. Half a mile ahead. And then it's saying, get over now. Right? So you, you need to start getting there. So I'm starting to freak out, understanding my situation, understanding if we go over those falls, we are goners. My dad, not trusting in him at all, because he's still fishing. So I start rowing. I'm like, okay, we're getting over whether he likes it or not. And we get close enough to the shore. Not only are you seeing the signs, but you are now hearing rushing water. It's coming. My dad is not doing anything. So I take matters in my own hands, and I row over to the shore. And again, understanding my situation, having no trust in my dad, I reach for the nearest branch. And, of course, my dad's still standing. And we flip over. The canoe keeps going, and my dad's looking at me like, what? What? what, what, what you, you, didn't, you didn't trust me? And I, I, I didn't. And, Dad, I know you're going to be listening to this later, so I apologize. I do trust you now. But I didn't trust him then. It's interesting, this idea of understanding and trust. Understanding and trust. That is what we're going to be talking about in our passage today. I know most of you probably didn't have your Bibles, uh, but if you have your phones, you can turn uh, to the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at a portion of history that is recorded in the Gospels. Of course, we know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, three of them, they're synoptic, which basically means they have a lot of the same information in it, just from different angles. 
We're going to be looking at this story, um, and it's going to be from Matthew and Mark and John. They all have the same uh, account, just from a little bit different angles. What we're going to find is we're going to pick up the story just after Jesus gets done feeding the 5,000. You know about that story with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fish. See, at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus was approaching rock star status. Everybody knew of him. They not only knew him, but they saw him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to see him, perhaps even touch him, because they wanted something from him. There were others, though, that didn't like him. There were others that wanted to harm him. They didn't like what he did, how he did it, what he said, and they were seeking to take him down. There was another group, however, that misunderstood really why Jesus was even here. See, they thought that he would, was coming to be the physical king right then, right now, and that they would uh, get them from underneath the Roman oppression. Long and short of it is, Jesus had a lot of attention on him. And after this miraculous feeding of the 5,000, it was time for him and his disciples to get out of town. So we're going to pick up the story of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm actually not going to read straight through the scriptures this morning. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase them and pull out some scriptures. So what we find out as the scriptures begin here is that Jesus put the disciples in a boat so they could go over to the other side. The other side is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were currently on the east side. They needed to get over to Bethsaida, which is on the west side. So Jesus sends them, and the scripture says that at that moment, Jesus went away to pray. This is certainly not the main point today, but notice... Jesus, with all of the uh, all of the, the, the things that were on his time, uh, and that people wanted all these things from him, he was very busy. He still found time to get alone, mind you, to pray. It's pretty important for Matthew because Matthew actually only records twice that Jesus gets away to pray once here, and then another time in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he dies. So Jesus goes to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples they're out on the sea and they're alone. If you know anything about the history of the disciples, they don't have much luck when they're in a boat. Okay? They had literally, just the, you know, a little while before, they had gotten into a storm. Jesus was sleeping underneath, and, and they start freaking out. And Jesus woke up and literally bailed them out of a situation. So this wasn't too much longer after that. They were heading out on the Sea of Galilee. It was at its widest point. is only 10 miles wide. So they didn't have an incredible distance to go. But that distance was made even longer because... The wind was coming at them. Verse 24, Matthew says the wind was contrary to them, meaning it's coming straight at them. And Mark describes it in his gospel as the wind was working against them. I don't know if you've had that experience when you've been in a boat, maybe a kayak, a canoe, whatever it is, and you're rowing and the wind is coming straight at you and you're working hard and you're not getting anywhere. It's incredibly exhausting. Not only is it exhausting, but it's demoralizing because you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you get a little ways and then you wait because you're, you're real tired or aren't real tired and then in the amount of time that you wait, you get blown back to the original location. Just demoralizing. That's what the disciples were going through. And it wasn't just the wind. Of course, you know if you're on the water, the wind also brings the waves. Matthew says they were being battered by the waves. Another word for that is Tormented. It was not a pretty scene for the disciples. And coming off the last storm that they went through, I'm sure they were all just a little bit jumpy. And so the hour is getting late. Matthew and Mark both confirm that it's now in the fourth watch, which commentators agree that that's somewhere between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. They had been rowing for hours. Some commentators believe up to nine hours they had been rowing, and they've only made it halfway. Only halfway. I'm sure they were exhausted. I'm sure they were angry. They were probably questioning each other. And then they probably did this. They probably questioned, why in the world were they there 
in the very first place. What they needed is they needed to understand the situation therein. You know, in order for us to understand and to stand on the promises of God, it takes understanding. Isn't it interesting? When you and I, we go through hard times and hardships, we often question, God, why? I mean, you've done it. I know that I have done it. It's really the ageless question that everybody asks all the time. Why? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? I'm sure Job was thinking the same thing. Went through, he went through all of his issues. Why? And I'm pretty sure that most of us have not been to the Job end of the spectrum when it comes to pain and suffering. But we still, we ask, why? Why was Job going through what he went through? Well, if you remember, remember God and Satan were having a discussion. And most people think, oh, Satan had it out for Job. But that's not how the scripture goes. God actually said to you, have you seen my servant, Job? You realize how powerful God is. If Satan wanted to get near Job, God had to say, okay. Satan would have no power unless God allows it. See, our God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. And if you look back in the text of what we just went over, we have a very, very clear reason as to why the disciples were in the middle of that storm in the first place. Look back at verse 22. It says, he, this is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side. They were there because that's exactly where Jesus wanted them. They were there because that's where Jesus... Jesus had something to show them, something to teach them, something to prepare them for. By the time they get through this ordeal, they are going to have a testimony to be told. But what I found out is this. Without, you can't have a testimony without a test. And so they were going through one at this moment. Look, you may be in the middle of a storm currently. And you may be asking the question, why, why, why? Just know, if you are a child of God, you are right where you need to be. Perhaps God is preparing you for something. Perhaps He's got something to teach you. He wants to make you stronger. And you say, okay, I, I can understand that, but why is it going to be so hard? Right? I mean, why? Why does it have to be so hard? Look, if it wasn't for hardships in our life, how would we know the love of God? Or the mercy of God? If it wasn't for pain in our life, how would we know the grace of God? If it wasn't for the storms that blow in all the time... How do we know the power of God? God found in my life is often through the really dark times that God shines the brightest. Which leads us to ask the question, where is Jesus in all of this? I'm sure the disciples were thinking the same thing. Mark says in his gospel that Jesus was watching the disciples as they were out there. See, John MacArthur in his commentary points out that the east side of the sea was a very mountainous location. It would have been perfect for Jesus to find a perfect place, a private place to pray, but also to be able to look out and to see his disciples. See, Jesus wasn't far. He was well aware of what was going on. He saw their struggles. And for you and I, look, God sees your struggles. He knows. He is not forsaken, just like he did not forsake them. He was there. And so Jesus goes out to them. Of course, he doesn't go out to him like an ordinary person would. No. He walks on the water. I mean, come on. He walks on the water. He was going to pass just by the boat. But they saw him. And I'm sure they're like, what in the world is that walking by us? I mean, they're freaked out. Jesus says, look, take courage. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. In the Greek, it's ego eimi, which is I am. He said, don't worry. I am. Now, look, this is not meant to be a confusing statement, but a comforting one because they had seen him before. They had seen him for who he was. They saw him as the I am many times, and so they would have understood it. And after all, what more of a description does Jesus need other than I am? 
They were in desperate need. And he says, I am. In, in the book of John, John says a number of different I am statements. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is all that they needed. And today, I will tell you this, he is all that you need. In him, we find life. So Jesus notices them. And then they notice him. Peter speaks up. If you know anything about Pete, he always is sticking his foot in his mouth. He speaks up. And most of the time you go, oh man, that's uh, not good. Because he doesn't have a good track record and later on in life he's going to prove it, right? In this instant though, when he speaks up, he is doing something amazing. Peter spoke up in verse 28. It says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to the water. Notice what Peter has done here. He has recognized Jesus. He recognizes him. And then when he, ha- when he waits for confirmation that it's him. And then and only then, notice this, only then does he move. He understood the situation and now he is trusting Jesus. See, once we understand the situation that we are in and we understand why we are in it in the first place, then what we need to do as believers, we need to take action and we need to trust our God. Trust always requires Action In this instance for Peter, that trust was leading him to get out of the boat. But notice this. And this is a story that we've all heard before, right? But notice, why does he get out of the boat? He doesn't get out of the boat to prove anything to his disciples, all right? He wasn't trying to impress anybody else. And I understand the disciples can, could have, they were, they were juvenile at points, right? I mean, uh, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Yeah. I doubt that they were sitting there going, you think you can do that? I doubt that they were sitting there and challenging each other and Peter going, yeah, hold my drink, I'm out there. I doubt that they were doing that, right? It would go against anything that was natural. It wouldn't make sense for him to do it. Why did he get out of the boat? He got out of the boat because that was where Jesus was. Peter gets out of the boat because that's where Jesus was. Imagine the human instinct is to stay where you think you're going to be dry and safe. But Peter... He says, no, I, I want to get out there because Jesus is out there. So I'm sure he's putting his leg up on the side and maybe he's questioning. And he, he's, he's trembling. He's shaking. He gets one leg over and he's sitting. He's trying to get the other leg over and the other's looking at him like, no, I don't think so. And, and he's like, no, I want to be where Jesus is. And then he puts his feet down as if he is standing on solid ground. Can you imagine what that would have been like? To stand on water like a solid ground. Not, not just to stand on it, but to walk on it. Of course... There's nothing that Peter did. This was all because of the power of God and the fact that Peter kept his eyes on Jesus. He kept his eyes on him. He kept the eyes, his eyes on the Messiah, who is in fact the promised one, right? Jesus was the promised one from the very beginning, back in Genesis 3.15. He was promised from the beginning, and that promise was reiterated all throughout the Bible. And then Jesus is standing right in front of him. See, that is what Peter was standing on. Peter was literally standing on the promises of God. You and I in the storms in our life, we're going to ask why. We need to seek to understand why are we in the situation that we're in in the first place. And then we need to trust Him. Trust His Word. Trust that He doesn't change. Trust that He doesn't fail. As we were singing that last song and we were talking about how He hasn't failed and He's not going to start now, He won't. Because He said in His Word, Romans 8, that we have victory in Him. That's a promise. It also says that once we are in the hand of God, nobody can separate us from, it, from Him. That is a promise that all things are going to work together. Hebrews 13.5 says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Of course, we know that that is a reiteration of the promise to Joshua back in the Old Testament, and we know what Joshua went through. God says, be strong, be courageous. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can stand on that promise. We can stand on 2 Timothy 2.13 that promises that even though you and I are unfaithful at times, and we are, it says that he remains faithful. That means he never stops. He is going to be faithful. We could go on and on about the promises of God all day. What we know is this. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a sovereign God, and he loves you. And you know what he wants from you? Simple. He wants you to follow. Look, what Peter did, it wasn't easy. It was reckless, some may say. It it didn't make sense to others, I'm sure. It was a risk, but man, it was worth it because that's where Jesus was. Look, we know what motivated Peter to get his legs up on the boat and get out into the water. But I wonder what motivates you in your life. I wonder what drives you to make the decisions that you make in your life. It could be you're looking at a new job or even a totally different occupation. What's going to drive you? It could be a decision to move across town or even even across the world. What's the motivation behind it? What is the goal? And if the goal is what it should be as a believer, and that's this, to bring glory and honor to God. And there are going to be times when you make a decision that the outside world looks at it and says, that doesn't make sense. Or man, that's kind of reckless. It may lead us to make a decision that's not easy, but a decision that's the right decision. The, the, the way that God wants us to go. Isn't that where we want to be? Don't we want to be where God wants us to be? I mean, I know each one of us, right? We, 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 we want our life to be uh, generally easy and good. But I also truly believe as believers, we want the life that God has for us. And the life that God has for us is for us to follow Him. No matter how strange it looks, no matter how risky it looks, or irresponsible, if it means getting out of the comfort of a dry boat, we follow Him. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus asked the first disciples to do? In fact, it was Peter, one of the very first disciples, that Jesus said to him in Matthew 4.19, Follow me. Peter was only following what Jesus wanted him to do. So Jesus, I want to follow you. No matter where you are, if it's walking on the sea, then I'm there. That's what Peter does. Of course, we know what happens next. Peter took his eyes off the promise and onto the storm around him, and he sinks like a rock. It's the simplest message in the world, but it's profoundly difficult to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our eyes on that promise. And again, as that song we just sung talks about keeping our eyes above the waves, we need to do that. We need to focus on Him Peter sunk because he had little faith. And that's not me talking. That's what Jesus said. He goes, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's telling Peter, look, haven't you seen enough to know that I am the promised one, that I am the Messiah? I mean, I've been around you for a while now, and you've seen what I'm capable of, and not just what I'm capable of, but who I am, and my character, and my love, and you're going to see my sacrifice. Keep in mind this, though. The people that saw all those things firsthand, saw him walk on the water, saw him calm the storm and touch people and and, and heal them, even they doubted at times. It doesn't make it right, but I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not so abnormal to have doubts from time to time. But that ultimately, I realize and understand who he is, who God is, and what he has done. And I recognize him as Messiah. That's where they came to. Verse 33, they say this, You certainly are God's son. Peter recognizes that this was indeed the promised Messiah. And I wonder, for you today, 
Have you gotten to the place where you recognize Jesus Christ as your Messiah? Have you come to the point in your life where you search for answers and everything else you find leaves you empty? You know, Jesus said when he came, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Life everlasting is what is found in a relationship with Jesus. It's not some recital of a prayer. It's not some checklist of things to do or, or, or rituals of, of, of whatever it may be. It's a belief and a recognition in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. It's putting your faith and trust in what he did for you and for me on that cross long ago. He died so that you and I may live. I encourage you today, if you're here and you do not know Christ, don't miss this opportunity. Don't let this moment pass you by. I pray that you come to a point in your life where you can make that decision. For us, who have made that decision to follow God's promises, we need to stand on His promises every day. Every day in this life, we need understanding and trust. We need to first understand this, that hard times will come. It is a guarantee. The storms will come, and for some of us, they're going to be like Category 5 storms. This, it's, it, it may happen. For some of us, it just may be a tropical storm. But the storms are coming. And again, perhaps you're maybe in the middle of a storm right now. Understand that not only do you need to understand the situation you're in, but understand that God's got you where you are for a reason. I'm not going to give you the tired, worn-out line that God is not ever going to give you more than you are, can handle because it is false. It is a lie. It's nowhere in the Bible. You tell, if, if, if you're going to say, oh, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, tell that to the countless people who have been tortured for their faith over the years, the countless people who have died for the sake of Christ. Look, no, they couldn't handle it on their own. What they did is they trusted in a God who was in control. And we, you and I, we can rest secure in the hands of an almighty God who is sovereign, who is control. Nothing is going to take our God by, uh, off guard, not by surprise. Nothing can happen that's going to make us fall out of the hands of God. We can stand on that promise that He's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, and we are overwhelmingly conquerors in all things. Look, if you are a believer, we have won the battle. We have won the battle because we have eternal life. In him. So we understand the situations we're in, and then we act out in faith, trusting. Trusting him to step out of faith, not because we want to prove anything to anybody, and not because we want to do great things for God, because that's more selfish than you can imagine. No, we want to follow him because that's where he's going. He's leading us. We want to be where he is. We want to follow him. And then we are able to carry on because we are not only trusting in him, we are standing on his promises. There's a story of a father and a daughter. They are fighting to get out of a burning house. The father is on the ground looking up, and he's not too, too far below where the daughter is standing on the windowsill of the house. And he's yelling to his daughter, all you got to do is take a step. She's standing on the windowsill. All you got to do is take a step. I'm sure the daughter understands, okay, I've, I've got two choices. I can take a step or I can be overtaken by the flames. Go ahead, sweetie, just jump. I promise, I'm, I, I promise, I'm going to catch you. I'm right here. There's too much smoke. Too much smoke. Daddy, I can't see you. I can't see you. Just take a step. Trust me. I'm right there. Listen, understand, folks. God has a plan for your life. That he loves you no matter what. That he is sovereign. And what he wants for you is to take a step and to trust Him. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know how risky it's going to look. I don't 
know what the storms are going to look like in your life. But I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to take faith to step out and say, you know what, God? I'm going to stand on your promises today, and I'm going to follow you no matter where it leads. That's my prayer for us, to stand on the promises of God. Will you pray with me? Our God, thank you so much for your promises. Lord, I thank you that you have promised us that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. Lord, you are standing there just asking us, begging us, just trust me. Just take a step. I don't know what the steps are for each one of us here. They're going to be different. They're going to look different. They're going to sound different. They're going to feel different. But the command is the same. Follow me. I thank you for the example of the disciples. I thank you for the example of Peter. Lord, I pray that we can learn from it. I pray that we can understand our situation. Understand that you are always there, Father. That you allow us to go through things to prepare us for a testimony, Father. And all we need to do is understand you and trust you and to step out in faith. Lord, I pray that for each person here. Lord, I pray that for those who may wonder, what what is this relationship with Jesus all about? and, And how do I get to know him? Lord, I pray that you will speak to them today. Lord, help them to speak to somebody around that that, that may have the answers, Lord, that, that we want them to know you. God, you're desperate for us. You desperately want us to follow you. Lord, I pray that. I pray for strength for each one of us. And I pray that we can stand on the solid promises of you. That we can follow you with all of our hearts. We thank you for all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, so we are celebrating the end of VBS. And we still have uh, more music to go. But we have one more testimony before we get the music going. Uh, Mandy is going to come up and share with you just a little bit about uh, her experience. Um, and you might have someone coming with you. That's all right. That's okay. Bring them up. Bring them up. <laughs> and then when Miss Mandy is done, kids, if you want to dance some more, come up and, and we're going to sing, uh, sing another song. Okay? She's going to go, Mandy. Good morning, family. I'm Mandy. And um, also known as Natalie.